Anyway, back in 1982, I was 12 years old, so you can add up how old I am. That's okay. The one on the far right, like I said, my brother Mike. My dad and I was at a little league baseball game. I hadn't talked about this in a long time, so it just came up, but my mom had stayed home with the two boys. And in the basement, when they had a play, play area, and they had the sliding patio doors, you all have seen those. Anyway, she put them in the play area. She decided she was going to go out and mow a little grass in the backyard. And She'd done this many times. She filled up the mower, put the gas can outside away from the kids. She's mowing, I don't know how long really, but she turns around at one point and sees there's a, we have a house fire. And so by this time, she realized that one of the, the little one, which is Mikey, he had grabbed a hold of the gas can the other one was three years old. He tried to get away. They was fighting for it. Got gas all over him. Threw the gas can down. Gas ran over to the hot water heater, which was gas. Instantly caught him on fire, obviously. So my mother runs in there, tries to get him. She still has, she has burns on her hands and arms. And I can only imagine what she might have thought. And so, anyway, she couldn't get to my brother Mikey. It was just nothing she could do. She got a hold of my brother Eric, pulled him out. House was on fire. Fire department come, gets them put out. And so they took them both to the emergency room. And by this time, Dad and I got home. And uh, Dad told me to stay in the car. So we, anyway, we end up at the hospital. And while I'm sitting in the emergency room, there's a waiting room right across the hall. So I'm by myself. Dad's in there, mom's in there. I can hear my brother crying and screaming in pain. But what happened next stuck with me the rest of my life. I see him wheeling a gurney down the hallway, and I could tell it was a little little body. So I'm over there by myself, and for some reason the sheet wasn't covering one whole side. And I could see him burnt. So I can, I can only imagine what my mother must have seen, because I knew what I felt seeing that, but I didn't see it happen. I'm sorry for the graphic details, but I'm really going somewhere with this, so just please bear with me. So the second picture over there is my brother Eric. He is three years old in that picture. 
We end up at Burns, or, um, Barnes Hospital in the burn unit. Stays there for six weeks. Now, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been in there, but it's a scary place. You walk into this room, the door shuts behind you. You got to scrub up every inch of that skin that you got exposed. You got to put on a mask, a head, you know, just everything. Then you walk through another door into this burn unit. It's like U-shaped. Well, my brothers was all the way around to the end. And every time we went in there, I had to walk past all of this and see all these people hurting and, you know. And, you know, he's three years old. And I'm in there and I see him. They're taking the bandages off and, and uh, well, you can just imagine anyway. But I can only imagine what that effect it might have had on my parents. You know, when you're 12 years old, you really don't think about those things too much. But as I look back over the years, I see the hurt and pain of my mom and dad. And my mother blamed herself because she couldn't save her son. And I sit and think about all the things my son Devin's been through. And I couldn't do anything about that either, but he's still here. I can only imagine them having to go through that, bearing the son, having to go through the, all of that, and then going right back to the hospital the next day and facing that. Lots of these things my wife don't even know, do you, hon? I just don't share them. And we just don't talk about it. So, six weeks come along, he's in the hospital. His head swells up half the size of what it's supposed to be again. He swells up everywhere. His blood pressure, they can't keep it regulated. His organs are failing. And they said, there's just nothing we can do. Your boy's going to die. So they told me, they said, the best thing you can do is just take him home. At least he'll be with family. And we'll see what happens. Well, this is the first time I saw the hand of God at work. And I didn't even realize it. And I was 12. As soon as he came home, this is where the story picks up a little bit. As soon as he comes home, within a week, he's instantly, swelling went down. Blood pressure gets regulated. Organs start to function. And he starts to communicate with us. And playing like a three-year-old would, try, you know, trying to. And so, taking him back to the doctor. Of course, you know, back in the early 80s, I mean, they can't do the things they do now. But they said, there's no way this boy was going to live. We sent him home to die. We just wanted him to be with family. So he continually got better. So from that point on, it became a point of a time of plastic surgeries because he was burnt completely around his whole torso, back of his neck, top of his right hand, back of both legs. But to look at him, if you had on clothes, you couldn't see it, luckily. Well, I don't believe in luck, but anyway. Anyway, they had to do surgery. So from every summer... From that point until he was 15, 
he had plastic surgery. They inserted these almost like balloons all the way around his waist. And my dad every night would have to inject him with saline solutions. These things would get bigger and bigger and bigger until they were just like a great big balloons around his waist. And then when they were maxed out, they would drain them, take them out, cut off dead skin, and pull up the good skin until they could get it up. He had no belly button. He had no, well, anyway, they fixed that. So I didn't know how to explain that one. But after when he got 15, they said, we can still do some plastic surgery, but now it's just going to be if you want to do it because there was really no more we could do because they had to do that so he could grow, must, you know, everything could expand. So he chose not to. The third picture in the middle is him now. His wife, Sarah. There's Janie. There they are. Where are them little rascals? There's, there's Eric Jr., Gabriel, Michael, and Evan. That's his family now. The problem is, during all this time, he became very depressed, addicted to painkillers, and has never been actually diagnosed as bipolar, but we believe he is. He just won't go to the doctor to get help. So you can imagine the downward spiral he was went, went in. And right now he don't even have, we don't have a relationship with him at all. I haven't seen him since Christmas. He lives here in Popper Bluff. My mom and dad don't have a relationship with him. One of the reasons, Pastor and I, we've talked about this. He asked me one time, why do you think that they moved away? Well, my dad said one time, he said, because we just don't want to deal with it. It's just too hard. They've made his life just, I'll just put it blunt, hell. They've paid his bills, kept the lights on for him, fed the children. But he's so far out there that he don't appreciate or see it. I don't know if any of y'all in here know him at all, but it just is what it is. But anyway, why I'm saying all this is because whole, the whole month of September, they was preaching on the harvest. And every time one of the pastors would preach on that, God kept saying, what about your brother? What about your brother? What are you doing? You know, you can, you, it's great to go out there when I'm on the job or out in public you know, to talk to people about God, and I'll continue to do that, but every service, God would say, what about your brother? What are you going to do? And damn it, I'll tell you, I fought it. Because I knew where we had been before. And I knew what kind of anguish it's caused our family. I mean, some of it's real bad. I'm not going to share all of it, but just things. Um... And then Pastor Randy and I were talking a while ago. He preached here a while back on the prodigal son. I'm not going to read that scripture out of Luke because you all know it. But I was reading over that again today in my office. And I just thought, this story is 100% my family. My dad retired. I took over the family business. Still run it. I do everything my dad and mom asked me. 
above and beyond. My brother has squandered everything that they've given him. Vehicles, money, houses. And ran off and just destroyed it. Well, now I'm waiting for the last part of that chapter to come to pass. To see him come back. So I was telling my dad about it. They're gone. They just left today. I really wanted them to be here tonight. But they said, son, I just can't, don't want to face it or talk about it. That's how bad it is. My dad said, son, he said, he just bumped what he said and be prepared to get kicked in the teeth because that's what's going to happen to you. I said, well, dad, maybe, but that's what I'm going to do. So last week, I was sitting there. I text my brother. He never answers me, never answers calls, never comes by, but he answered the first text I sent him just instantly. I just said, just how you doing? You know, like they said, you know, I'm not going to, when I first, if, if I get to try to do this, and I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to hit him over the head. You know, you're going to hell. You got to quit doing drugs. You got to take care of your family. You're not treating mom and dad right. I ain't going to do any of that. I'm just going to talk to him. How you doing? How's my grand, you know, my nieces and nephews? Let's get together. Let's do dinner or somewhere, plant a seed and just see what grows, see what happens. So I'm hoping that we do get to see the last, this last part of this chapter come to pass. So with, with the end of it, this whole thing about the harvest, I just couldn't get away from this. I'm going to be honest with you, I've been, when the pastor asked me to do this, what, probably a month ago, I have sat down, I told my wife the other night, probably ten times, just to even write out some notes, and I couldn't do it. I would sit there and just stare at it, stare at it. I couldn't write even the first letter because I didn't even know where to start. But my wife, you know, she's pretty wise. She said, just make some highlights. I said, yeah, whatever, okay. But there they are. So, I love you, babe. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to end with this. What I want to ask you, what's at stake in your family? Because that's what's at stake in my family right there. That's all we got left. My family is very little, and that's it. If they don't make it to heaven, it won't be because I didn't try. My nieces and nephews, well, my niece is 16, so she, she knows what's going on. She's not living right either. She don't have the example. But my nephews, they're just going off what their mom and daddy's showing them. And unfortunately, it's nothing good. So... That's what I just wanted to share with you. What's at stake in your family? Because that's, that's for me. You know, if you don't have anybody in your family like that, still do what the pastor's been talking about, the harvest. Look at all these empty seats here tonight. Why ain't they full? It's up to us to do it. Because the devil's doing his job. That's obvious. So that's all I have. And Pastor, would you pray for me?